Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Footnotes and Fairy Tales with me, Damien Fox, the platform that hopes to showcase the people of Newry and their stories. My guest today is truly inspiring. In 2013, following the tragic loss of his son, Kevin, he and his wife, Ethna, founded the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. The trust alleviates the financial pressures in repatriating a loved one in what is already a difficult time for a grieving family. It is with my absolute pleasure that I introduce to you today, Collie Bell. Hi, Collie. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me. No bother, Damien. Glad, glad to do it. Um, firstly, I, I would imagine most people now probably know you um, for your work with the Kevin Bell Trust. Um, but there's obviously a side of you that perhaps they don't know. And for a long time, and I think I've read this, you were a teacher for about 40 years. Yeah. Taught in Belfast. I was a qualified as a, a teacher at St. Joseph's in 1974. And from 1974 to 88, 14 years, I taught in a secondary school, the St. secondary school uh, up the White Rock Road in Belfast. And then that school was amalgamating and I got a transferred redundancy, luckily enough, to the Abbey Primary School. And then I was 26 years in the Abbey Primary School. That's incredible. Um, I'd read that both your parents were, were teachers. Your father had taught your father yeah. had taught in the Abbey and that your mother had taught in the Sacred Heart. So I, I guess I wanted to understand, was it inevitable that you would then become a teacher? I don't know. Uh, I, I think at the end of the, my A-levels, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had an offer from St. Joseph, so I just went. But then I was, I was mad into football. I was mm -hmm. mad into sport, and I uh, I loved the thought of being a PE teacher. So that's originally why, why I, I I chose uh, teaching was purely PE. And then I, as I say, I had fourteen years in Belfast teaching PE, and then I ended up twenty six years in in the primary school in the Abbey Primary School, and uh, I suppose. Uh, I would have done all the sport in, in the school at that time too, or a lot of the sport. So uh, I enjoyed enjoyed that part of teaching anyway. Something I've always been curious about, I mean, when you first qualify to become a teacher, I would imagine there's a, an enthusiasm to go in and, and shape young minds and, you know, help uh, develop and shape uh, young people. How much, how much of, of what you hope to achieve and what you ultimately achieve, like where, where do they meet? Do, do they match up perfectly or um, is it always a challenge? No, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if I would be the one to say, you know, where, where but I, I enjoyed teaching and I also enjoy, I hope that the, the young lads in the class enjoyed having me as a teacher because, as I say, uh, sport was the big thing with me, and and uh, I, I just loved being out on the, in the yard or in the, uh, in the football field more than being in the classroom. To be honest, <laughs> you know. And and looking back on the forty years that that you taught, like what did you take from that? What what did it do for you as much as it did for anybody that you taught? Oh sure. Well, it made me very well known around Uri for for starters, and mm -hmm. uh, 
and then uh, so you got to know a lot. You got to know a lot of people, and then again, I would have played a lot of soccer and a lot of Gaelic, and uh, and would have been well well enough known for that. So around the town, you would be well known, uh, mm-hmm. and that and Jerry uh, was always. A brilliant town, and, and and always had things to do. Always had great mates, and and it was a great place to live. You know, I'd read, and a lot of my reading comes from the same article. Um, I'd read that in 1984, you and Ethna got married. That's correct. Yeah. Um, what what did you guys? I, I presume both of these are from Newry originally. Yeah. Well, yes, we're both from Newry. We both lived in the Glen there at the bottom of the Dublin Road. Oh. Okay. I lived towards the bottom of the glen, and Ethna lived up at the top of the glen. So whenever, whenever we're going out, she was able to collect me on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I suppose um, quite quickly, and it was, some, it was something that you had said within, I guess, within five years. You said, uh, or I guess you said, seven children under the age of five. Is that correct? Well, the eldest two were five. Whenever, whenever uh, Maeve was born, so she was number seven. Yeah, Sean and Sean and Kier were born uh, after we were married ten months, and then thirteen months later we had uh, Kevin and Brenton, and then we had Eamon and Connor, and Maeve was 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 born just before the Sean and Kier were six. So really, seven under six. Busy yeah. household. Well, surely I. <laughs> I and still it, got I still got football though. <laughs> yeah. And of the seven children there was two sets of twins. That's right. Sean and Kira and Kevin and Brenton. Yeah. Uh my heart Sean was off. Sean and Kira were actually thirteen months whenever Kevin and Brenton were born. So we're like oh, four four babies in arms, like. Yeah. Yeah. I often wonder, you know, knowing that you have seven children, uh, my, my wife comes from a family of eight, eight kids. Um, um, and to be honest with you, I, I don't know how anybody does it. Um, my wife jokes that I can't even manage the three that I have. Um, <laughs> and so much so that I moved to Switzerland. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you not take them and the children with you? Oh, they came uh, last oh, year. Okay. Um, they, they came for the first couple of weeks. The idea was that we come here and move. Um, yeah. But I guess it is it is a culture shock. And obviously, oh, the yeah. language. Young, young children and yeah, schooling and, and everything. And I suppose you're right. No, uh, no the author always said that, that they amused themselves. They were all kind of of an age, you know, mm-hmm. and there was never a single child in the house. So they didn't have to be uh, kept amused because they played with each other and they uh, and they always had some somebody to play with, you know. So so it made that was that was the easier part of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can imagine, um, and I, I've seen that, and my wife talks about it that very often you find that the the older child helps in many ways to bring on the younger children. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, if I can move on, and as I said on the outset, obviously um, people probably now more so would know you for your work with the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Uh, I understand that 2023 is the 10th anniversary um, of the trust. Yeah. 
in in your mind, um, I mean, that in itself is quite a milestone. Um, yeah. Well, as I said, just in June there now, it was 10 years since, since we lost Kevin. And, mm -hmm. But it's a very, very quick 10 years. I mean, 10 years goes past very, 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 very quickly. And especially like if you were as busy as we were, mm -hmm. uh, because once we started the trust, you know, it has grown and grown and grown now. And uh, I suppose like it's, it's, well, it would be very, very well known throughout Ireland at the moment, and and to many of the diaspora, you know, for you know where where many uh, where there are collection of Irish people, they, they would know well about the trust, you know. Um, I wanted to talk, like, and you'll you're probably best suited to answer that more than anybody. Given, given the experience and what you've gone through. If, if we go to a time before the Kevin Bell Trust, in your mind, or, or, or to your knowledge, was there anything in place um, that would have helped repatriate loved ones home from no. abroad? No, not as far as I know. And, and I mean, the, the governments don't help. Excuse me, they'll, they'll not organise or they'll not pay for repatriation. And to be honest, uh, we are the only we are the only repatriation charity in the world, as far as I know. And it's purely and uh, and it only really works because it's in Ireland, and community is such such a, a big thing in Ireland. You know, I mean, anywhere uh, somebody dies, the neighbours come in, they help, can take over. You know, they carry. Over, over that, over the initial shock and whatever people people do that. That's not done really as much anywhere else. And and <laughs> many big conurbations. I suppose some people don't even know their neighbours. But but the mm -hmm. Irish will look after the Irish. Look after each other. And and uh, I I know myself because uh, there was a young fella from Scotland and he died in Thailand and his mother tried to to set up. You know, using our model, because we were going about three or four years at this time, and she had heard about us and asked how we had got on, and trying to use our model. And she actually had me over talking to the to the minister for the diaspora in the in the Scottish uh, government, and I was explaining to him how important community is, was is in Ireland, and you know, explaining you know the likes of. Of uh, of the 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 GAA, you know, being at the heart of community and stuff, things like that. There, and he said, "Oh, we have something like that." They said, "We have burdens clubs," which you know is just not on the, in the same league at mm -hmm. all. And she couldn't get it off the ground; just couldn't get it off the ground. So, as far as I know, we're still still the only repatriation charity, and I've heard of none, no others. You know anywhere in the world that's remarkable i i wanted to ask uh, i suppose of two questions <coughs> can you imagine a time where it will move away from private charity and perhaps you will see government subsidize and help repatriate people or can, is that just uh, not a realistic uh, expectation 
Well, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, there's no government takes takes their own people home. Mm -hmm. You know, the the families are all left to their own devices. You know, and and a lot of families uh, can't afford it or couldn't afford it. A lot of lot of families have get their loved ones cremated abroad. You know, and but uh, but they don't get any help for from government. And as I say, no government does it. If one government was to do it, maybe it would open it up a bit. But I can't really see it. You know. Yeah. Um, that kind of leads me on to what what you'd said about other countries trying it and, and basing it on the the Kevin Bale model. Um, do you think? In, in many respects, because we have the likes of the GA, which helps bind a community together, that it in many ways was, I don't know, necessary to help, perhaps just in the initial time after Kevin had passed away, to get it off its feet. Was it that GA community that I, I would imagine help bolster our lesson foundations or was it just the people of Newry? It was just all oh, the people of Newry, undoubtedly. You know, uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't Gaelic clubs or, or that, that 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 raised the money to bring to, to bring Kevin home. No, it was just it was ordinary people. And uh, 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 as I say Newry is just a, a fantastic place. We we just love Newry always. Like Ethna says that she feels sorry for anybody who doesn't live in Newry, you know. <laughs> Believe it or not. And uh, but uh, no, no, it was just pure pure people, people. But then when you get go down out into the country and you you know, when in the, the parishes, you know, outside big towns. I mean mm -hmm. Gaelic is the Gaelic club is the heart of the community. I mean, your 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 Gaelic club is your is your meeting place it's you know it's where uh, it, it's so important and, and and it's where people have leisure play bingo do or whatever so it's it really is at the heart of the community and and it's that's i mean it's it's so so it's vital to us really mm -hmm. you know with with respect to those other countries that, that have tried to to get it off the ground um, well i don't know if anybody has Okay. I know just know that nobody, I don't know if anybody has tried, but I just know that nobody else is doing it. You know, okay. if you understand, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of leads me on. I wanted to understand because, given given that there was no blueprint in place to work off, and that you very much had to navigate this yourselves, like what what were some of the challenges in the beginning? Because obviously. You, there's a lot of red tape, you know. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I mean, this, this took on a life of its own. You know, we didn't set out really, to be honest, to to uh, to, to start start a charity. But what what happened was, as you know yourself, that the people of Newry raised one hundred and fifty thousand pounds to bring Kevin home. Mm -hmm. Didn't cost that. We had all this money. It wasn't our money. Like you, know, we're, we're going to use this money to go on cruises or, you know, big holidays or that. 
And it was a week after Kevin's death. It was only in, in the Irish news, or maybe it was on the news on, on television, that we saw a pretty young fellow who had died in Thailand from Kerry Duff. Mm-hmm. And we lifted the... Well, we got in contact with the parents and said, look, we have this money, we'll bring your son home. Then the next thing, uh, there was a young fellow from Sligo the following week. Again, we contacted his parents. And we thought, right, well, as soon as this money's gone... You know, that'll be the end of it. But prior to prior to uh, the year before Kevin was killed, there was a young fellow from from Leitrim, you know, beside Castlewell. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 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 Ryan Doyle was his name. He was called Young Doyler. He he was killed in uh, he was killed in Perth, I think it was in, in Australia. And there was a lot of money raised for him. And they had something like £72,000. So they saw what we were doing. So they came to us and said, look, there's that £72,000 to add to your, to your, uh, the money that you have. And so, and then people started uh, doing fundraisers to pay back, you know. And then the next thing was more money than we started with. So then... Now we all the money that we had at the start, you know, had gone into the credit union. So mm. we we said, look, uh, right, we're going to this is we'll, we will make it Kevin's legacy, and we applied. But then, of course, she had we had uh, uh, and uh, Jackson in the credit union with uh, all friends friends of of Kevin. Friends of mine, Damien, and and that, and we were all, and they we decided right we're going to go for for uh, charity status. And it took us about a year and a half because you know you just can't set yourself as a set yourself up as a charity, but it took us about a year and a half to become to become a proper proper charity. And then we said, right, this is a thirty-two county thing, so we'll have to get charity status down in the in the in the republic. And so again, it took us about another year, year and a half to become a a, 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 a registered charity down south. And in the meantime, uh, Jimmy Danahan was the minister for the diaspora in uh, down south. It was a uh, and and he contacted us, and we had a meeting with him, with the result that then, whenever anybody rang, the Department of Foreign Affairs, if somebody had been somebody belonging to them had died or had been killed abroad, obviously they they would have got word maybe through the police or whatever, and they didn't know what to do, so they would contact the Department of Foreign Affairs. And then the Department of Foreign Affairs would give them our number, and then they would contact us, and then we would take over, and and do the repatriation and pay for it. And that's how it grew and grew and grew. I mean, in the first year, like I mean, Kevin was killed in, in June. Up up to maybe Christmas, we took home maybe seven or eight people. The mm. next year it was about thirty forty people. Then we. Had the meeting with the, the the 
minister and then it went up to 100 people then it was 150 then it's went up to over 200 every year and now i mean in july there just passed 31 days in july we took home 33 people in, in one month you know from all over the world and but it's amazing uh, like uh, we would say now like it it, it, it it's it's not our it's not really it's not our trust you know it's it's a trust by the people of ireland in kevin's name mm -hmm. because it's just the people of ireland families who maybe have gone through through they used the trust trust our families our our clubs and stuff who fundraise <laughs> excuse me for us but they that, that there pays for the next family and the next family and the next family and, and that's how it works. We're very, we're so, so lucky. That's so sad. It's purely community. I was trying to, to articulate this in the right way. Um, and I suppose if I use a coin, it's very much a, a two-sided coin in so much as it's incredibly sad that in June or July, you brought home 33 people that, you know, they've unfortunately lost their lives, but it's very uplifting equally that you've been in a position to able to bring them home. Um, so yeah, I would imagine mixed emotions. Um, how, how, how difficult from the, the early stages bringing people home to now, you know, because I would imagine in the beginning that you're having to navigate your way through this and establish relationships with, you know, undertakers and whatnot abroad, governments. Uh, yeah, but now, exactly. But obviously now you're at a point where you're well established. Yeah, we have it. Well, more or less have it off to tea now because, I mean, if somebody dies in in Melbourne, one email will get the ball rolling. Somebody dies in New York, somebody dies in Thailand, somewhere you know, and it's only really where you know some some country like I mean we're taking somebody home from Colombia now. That's the first one from Colombia. Uh, but you know what, what you do then. Then we use the the uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs and the consulates and the embassies because they they're on the ground there and they would know. You know, I mean, as I say, somebody dies in 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 Perth, it's the same undertaker we use all the time. That's why it's okay. simple. But then, if you haven't got an undertaker, <laughs> you know, that's when we would use embassies and, and consulates and take advice and get the proper people on the job, you know? Mm -hmm. I'd read um, an article and it talked about the fact that you had addressed um, the joint Oireachtas Committee for Foreign Affairs. Um, I wanted to understand, I mean, it has to be a new and, and surreal experience in many respects because, you know, this isn't something that, that you'd ultimately set out to do, you know, I guess, given what had happened to Kevin and what you chose to do then going forward. What, was it a case, I mean, did you feel overwhelmed, you know, here you are in a position where you're speaking to governments or was your conviction on what you were doing the driving force and that you were perfectly comfortable addressing, you know, well, I suppose, I suppose because day on day, week on week, year on year, you, 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 you mean you're 
you've so much more experience. And I mean, I mean, I know more, a lot more about repatriation now, of course, than when I started. Mm-hmm. But I know a, a hell of a lot more about repatriation than probably any MLA or MP or TD or whatever. So, I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to feel nervous about speaking to them because I know what I'm talking about, if you understand. Yeah. 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 And and how did you how did you find those experiences? Did, did you feel that that you addressing them had an impact, and that it perhaps changed how governments uh, look at repatriation? Uh, or I, I couldn't really I couldn't really say that. Okay. I couldn't really say that. You know, they say nice things to you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's the ordinary people who you know are, are the people that you help. They're the ones that. that that you're pleased, that that you know that's where you get the satisfaction. That's where you you know that you're doing something good. You know. I, I want to talk about um, obviously the logo um, and and how you decided upon it and how it reflects Kevin. If it, uh-huh. well, uh, that, that's Ethna's work. Okay. Because. <coughs> People knowing Kevin, Kevin was a redhead, mm-hmm. you know, ginger hair. Well, what did he call it? Uh, or something blonde, something, strawberry blonde or something, something like that there. But he was redhead. And the, the Christmas before uh, Kevin went away, the last, we because there's, there were so many of us, we Chris Kringle at Christmas. And... Okay. and he asked his mommy, she, she was his Chris Kringle, she asked what she, what she would like and she said she'd like a bird table for out the backyard. So he got her a bird table and there's a, we finches come and we finches have wee red heads, you know. So Ethna said that that's what he called them, birds come home to roost. And so she, it was Ethna's work that there's a wee finch on the jersey, you know. That's- that's wonderful. Um, I mean, very very often you see the symbol and you you recognise it, um, but you don't necessarily know the meaning behind yeah. it. So uh-huh. that's something new for me. Um, um, if we could talk about the jersey then, because yeah. it, it's become a, a phenomenon in many respects. I mean, you only have to look online and you can see people globally representing yeah. Ke- Kevin Bell. Yeah. Um, well. Ha- ha- it's it's only now it, you can now this is a, a plug you can now go online and and get it okay before that you would have had to contact us it's not on general sale in sports shops it's in neil's jersey but uh and we i mean uh, we don't make a, a profit out of it mm-hmm. believe it or not we only set it up as, as you know uh, to raise awareness and it's funny, I mean, people, you can see people in airports wearing it, you know. And, uh, but now, in this last six weeks, we, we have had to get orders in, orders in, because they're flying out, because now you can go online at KBRT and order one, and it'll be, we'll send you it out, you know, you get it in a couple of days. Other than that, it was every now and again, somebody to ring the office and say, how do you get it? And we, mm-hmm. because they're in the office, but now they're, 
they're what they call. So the price is going to go up. <laughs> uh, they're available through your website. Is is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go through the website, and you can order order the jerseys or the polo shirts. Polo shirts as well. You can order them. Has the jersey, and I, I would imagine it has, has it surpassed all your expectations whenever you first create, created the jersey? What has become? Oh, no, there's only, there's only a sort of, uh, as I say, to raise awareness. And But now you see, you see, in, in, in Woodlawn, where Kevin was killed, I'd say they, they dedicated a bench to, it, to Kevin. And now people put on the jersey, and if they're in New York, they go to the bench and they send us a photo. And it's brilliant. You know, it really is. It's nice to get so many people. And to get to Woodlawn, you have to, you know, it's in the Bronx. Like, it's not yeah, yeah. Manhattan. You have to go out of your way to go there. So and lots of people do that. Go out of their way, go to the bench, get the photograph taken, wearing the jersey at Kevin's bench, and send it in. We just love it, you know? That was one of my questions, because more often now, you see people posting a picture on Kevin's bench. What was the, the genesis of that? I mean, where, where did the bench come from and the idea? There was a, well, uh, up at the benches outside Rory Dolan's pub. Now, I don't know whether Kevin lived in Rory Dolan's pub, but he might have been in it a few times, you know. But anyway, there's a, 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 a girl, uh, she's a manager, actually, and and she, uh, she it was her, her decision that, that they would put up a bench for Kevin, because of the work of KBRT and just to remember him. And it's this lovely bench and it's got a picture of Kevin and, and it's well tended and everything. And and uh, Mary Faye, you call the girl, we're very grateful to her. She looks after it. And and then, of course, people go, of course, when they go up, they're wearing the jersey, they go into the Rory Dolan's and she'll Mary go straight over because she'll recognize the jersey, you know, and then they'll have a chat. and. So it's, you know, it's all, the church is a very positive thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, my next question probably answers itself, you know, from everything that we've talked about, but how much has the trust become a living testament to Kevin, to Kevin's memory? Well, I don't know. It, it's Kevin Bell's name is, is very, very well known. Kevin Bell's name is mentioned in parliaments. You know what I mean? It's and uh, it's 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 his name. He's mentioned throughout Ireland. He's mentioned in Australia. He's mentioned in America. He's mentioned where anywhere where there's Irish people, they know the name Kevin Bell. You know, which is and we're very proud of that. You know. Yeah, I think I'd seen something before where where you had said uh, that Kevin had said. That he knew that he always oh, would be famous. He's got him a famous. Kevin says, oh, "I'll be famous someday." He's right. <laughs> he's right. I never had the pleasure to meet him, um, but I've met lots of people that obviously had a relationship with him and speak incredibly highly of him. Um, my relationship was with Sean, having worked uh, with 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 Sean in the Canal Court, and I suppose that was why me and my brother we decided to. To claim Ben Nevis for the trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I wanted to 
I'm not using that to say that I've raised money for the trust, but it's to kind of create context because when I told you that we were going to climb Ben Nevis, you told me a story about when you'd climbed Ben Nevis. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was wondering if you'd share that with me. Oh, yeah. But it was whenever I was at college and we were learning to be a PE teacher and part of the course was outdoor pursuits. So a crowd of us, well, not, not the crowd, it was the whole class of us, uh, we're, we were taking lectures, took us to Glen Nevis. We we <laughs> we camped in Glen Nevis the night before we went, we uh, tackled uh, Ben Nevis. But if you know, if Ben Nevis, we weren't going up cliffs or anything. There was a track up the whole way. But mm -hmm. we had all the gear. I mean, we had boots with leggings, with clampons, with helmets, with ropes. With ice picks, with uh, rucksacks, uh, with goggles for the glare of the sun and everything. And off we go. It takes about two and a half, three hours to get to the top of Ben Nevis. Now we're going up Ben Nevis. Um, oh, carrying stretchers and everything. God almighty. Sure, <laughs> I mean, people wouldn't be tackling Everest with half the stuff we had on. So anyway, we're about to, when you get to the top of Ben Nevis, you go to to breast it, you, you have to go round the corner, get around, around the corner, brings you on to the top of the hill. And just as we were 20 yards from the top, there was two old ladies in their coats and their ordinary shoes and their handbags over their arms. <laughs> and, and, you know, somebody had arms left and they were coming off. Well, Jesus, that was... It was unbelievable. And they were, just, they were on their way there. It looked as if they'd, they'd gone to Mass and decided, well, sure, we'll go take it on up the hill, you know. <laughs> I, I would imagine you felt slightly overdressed at oh, that point. Unreal. But, <laughs> and, that, and that is as true as I'm sitting here. It was, and, and it wasn't as if we met them coming down, we were halfway up. And they were halfway down, and we could have said, "Well, uh, it got too tough for them." Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right, twenty yards off the top, they were they had been at the top and were coming off. Unreal. Yeah, there's nothing like those experiences to to, oh. gr to ground you. Um, yeah. Over over the course of the ten years of the trust, um, obviously, I'm only aware of a couple of examples, but there's been people that, that have taken on extraordinary feats in order to raise funds. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, th I think if I'm right, in one case, uh, a young lad cycled across the, the United States. Is that? Oh, young fella, yeah, young fella from from, uh, from South Armagh cycled west coast to to east coast. And, uh, oh, um, and, and amazing. And, and the thing was, he wasn't a cyclist. You know, he wasn't a boy that had a, had a bicycle and went out cycling every weekend and did miles and miles and miles. No. But he'd always wanted to do it, and mm -hmm. it gave him the perfect opportunity. That's that's what I find in my experience. A lot of the things that I've wanted to do, I've not necessarily had the motivation to do it, but when you find a charity that you want to do something good for, it gives you the opportunity to do it and for a good cause. Um, so I think in large part, that's probably many people's motivation for, for doing wonderful things. Are, are, there, are there other instances or some feats or things that people have done for the trust that, that stand out in your mind? Hark. No, I'd say so many, but not really the ones that, that would stand out in your mind. There's ones that you wouldn't do yourself, like, you know what I mean? 
there are some mad ones, but but uh, no, no. But, but sure, people think of, of wonderful things to do, like but as I say, they all do it with their with with their uh, with the intention of of helping the charities, which is great. Mm-hmm. In many instances, and I think this is a testament to to both you and Ethna. Um, you travel quite broadly um, to to meet with people that have that have done something in order to raise funds. Uh, was that always the intention to try and visit uh, and meet oh, with as many not, people? Not at all. Not at all. No, no, no. But people like started off when you were doing, uh, you know, you'd be invited if there was a. a, a a fundraiser in Cork, okay. So they would gather up the money, but they'd want you down to meet you to have to give you the money and get photographs, and that's how it started. And uh, this now, yeah, this is unreal now. Is uh, on on third of October, I'm going out to New York for uh, from the third to the seventh, and that'll be attending uh, fun not fundraisers but check presentations. And at one of them now, there's going to be the Irish, uh, the Irish Consul General and Liam Neeson are going to be there. You know, so amazing. It's going to make a queer photo. I'll send it to you. <laughs> it has to have brought some quite surreal and incredible moments. I mean, I, I, I wasn't aware of this until I think my brother sent me a link that, you know, everybody's probably well aware that Sinead O'Connor passed away quite recently. And the trust, the Kevin Bell Trust, played a part in repatriating her. Yeah, we did. But it was more. It was more a case. The family contacted us because I, I don't think they wanted. Uh, you know, uh, it was more so that we could do it kind of under the radar. Mm-hmm. They didn't want a, a media circus with their body coming home or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they asked us, could we get her home? You know, quietly without fuss or fanfare, and we were. Very happy to be able to help you. Know. Mm-hmm. You've received a lot of recognition and all of it, obviously, well-deserved recognition for the work that you used to do. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't aware of this until I read that, you know, even the, at one point, the British Prime Minister at the time, Theresa May, um, I think, she had yeah. written a written a letter to you, and that you yeah, were given yeah. given an award. Yeah, point of light. We were one of every month. There's a point of light, and and Theresa May for a letter given to give us the the point a point of light. It's just it's just a, a wee acknowledgement of the work that you're doing. It was very very pleased to get it. You know. Yeah, I suppose many many things about about the experiences that you had have to be surreal um things things like that you know the the head of a foreign government recognizing the charitable work that you do uh, ah, it yeah. has, perhaps it's one of those pinch me moments but again it's all well well deserved um i wanted to understand in part and you know don't answer this if you don't want to um, obviously when you lose somebody incredibly close to you you know that kind of grief's unimaginable but I wanted to understand: Has the trust helped you in giving you an outlet um, oh, in some way? Totally cathartic. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. 
absolutely. I mean, it, from from day one, and and I mean, as I say, we're doing it for Kevin, and, and uh, it's an honour to do it for Kevin. And oh God, it keeps me busy. Yeah, you don't dwell on things. And when all said and done, uh, he didn't die for nothing. You know, mm. some something good has come out of of, of Ken, Kevin, and as he says himself, he's he's famous. Again, I'd mentioned previously that, that I'd not met Kevin. Um, if you could give us a, a, a sense of, of him. I, I, I mean, what I've gathered from other people is that he was a warm, cheerful, bubbly, funny personality. Um, um, so oh, I mean, oh, no, he was quiet, quiet enough. He would have been quieter than, quieter than his twin Breton and growing up. But then when he hit 16 or 17, he, he developed this personality and he, he do anything for a laugh, you know, and and would do and did <laughs> anything, <laughs> you know, and and he's the sort of way if you if you're in the room with him, you'd know he was in the room, you know that sort of way. But yeah. but he's a good lad, like he's you know he enjoyed me, he just enjoyed crack and he enjoyed life and enjoyed a bit of travel and. But it didn't do it didn't do anybody any harm, you know. Yeah. Um, if I could move on a little bit, and obviously, I've understood you to be a lifelong kind of GEA fan. Um, um, am I right in saying that you're a Down fan? Oh yes. Okay. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. Are you, gonna, you, you start in shade now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're okay. You can curse. Um, I'd seen in, in something that I read that the trust was awarded the GA President's Medal. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, myself and me, or myself and Ethna, we got the President's uh, Medal. Was it 2014 or 15? Yeah, presented by Liam. Uh, oh, Liam. Oh, no, after. He was the president of the GA at the time. It was very nice. It was a lovely honour to get. Uh, yeah. Um, I originally planned in, in my introduction uh, to, to mention the, the fact that you're most likely a, a, a long-suffering Down fan. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've had my good days tonight. That's what I wanted to talk about because um, obviously they, they've gone through a, a, a drought, but... GA has probably played a big part in your life. Uh, and I oh. wanted to talk about perhaps some of those more poignant memories you have, even growing up, because Down has been incredibly successful. And I wanted to see if you would recollect uh, some of those uh, happier times. Well, I mean, I was very lucky. I mean, I, I always I played all my, my Gaelic with, with Yuri Mitchells. And I was lucky enough to have uh, played in the same... Nuri uh, Mitchell's team, along with Sean O'Neill and Kevin O'Neill and John Bannon, Val Kane, no super super players, and right through the thirty years or whatever I was playing for them, I met was playing with some rock, the Ruddy brothers, the Durkin brothers, and super super players, and then uh, I, I, what do you call it? I played minor under twenty one. Uh, with down myself and I was invited into senior senior panels but I was also a soccer player that played seven years with Newry Town 
So, I mean, I couldn't commit. So, but having said that, uh, oh, the best days were always following down and, yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember as, as children, and I mean, I wasn't too aware of what I was going to see or, or but my parents had brought us, I think it was the early 90s, maybe 90, 92, 91. I think, if I'm correct, down had won maybe two All-Irelands relatively close together. Right, the one, yeah, the one 91 and, and uh, 94. Okay, but we were brought down to the to, to the Shamrocks, um, you know, to, to see the team off before they left for, for Dublin. And I remember the likes of, you know, uh, DJ Kane and um, Paddy O'Rourke and Mickey Linton and stuff, signing hats and stuff for us. Um, yeah, remarkable. Um, Brilliant. Yeah, yeah ho- hopefully good times return. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're on the way back, no doubt about it. <laughs> you touched upon it earlier. Um, again, a large part of what I'm doing is, is speaking to people from Newry and telling their stories. Uh, and hopefully that it's a representation of the best of Newry and showcases the best things about Newry. Charities is in many ways central to, to Newry. It, it's part of the lifeblood of who we are. I mean, I don't think you can drive through the town on any given day, I not see somebody out with a bucket raising money for something. Yeah, the, but I mean, the the charities in Yuri themselves. I mean, there's the the hospice and there's hips, there's ourselves. There's so many great great charities. But I I actually heard, I don't know whether it's true, but a lot of charities when they want to to announce something, will announce it from Yuri. Because Newry has such a such a great great name, it's such a such a uh, 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 background of 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 charitable works and stuff, you know. And and Newry people are always like that. Even mm-hmm. if they had nothing, they would give you to give you the last, you know, bit of bread. You know, there's unreal. That's always been my experience. I mean, and quite surprisingly, I mean, there's things that have happened in the past. Um, you know, the likes of Chernobyl and I, I, I still recall, I mean, I worked in the canal court and a lot of those experiences I had there, I would have seen charities and whatnot doing certain things. And the certain charitable um, things that are still being done that you wouldn't necessarily be made aware of. And pe- the people of Newry are doing that, you know, I, oh, I recall, yeah. you know, oh. the, people going doing things, you know, uh, no fanfare, no nothing, just getting on with it. And have been doing it for years and years and years. And you would never, you would never, um, until you realise, well, I wonder how this comes about, and you realise such and such a person has been doing this. I mean, that nearly's full of people like that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the, the trust, obviously, it would take up, uh, well, perhaps you, you, you can answer that for me, but it would take up, a chunk of your time. Um, um, is there any part of it that, because obviously you're, you're indirectly involved in, in relocating someone back home or repatriating them home, and that obviously that obviously comes with a family's grief and, and, and tragic loss. Is, is any part of that, you know, how, how does that affect you in any way, or, or, or does it affect you at all? You see, there's two things about repatriation. One is is the is, is absolutely paying for it because mm-hmm. a lot of families 
I mean, if they're faced with where where would where would they get fifteen thousand pounds? You know, they just they wouldn't be able to do it. You know, if if it was in some countries. Or the second thing is, they're just after getting the worst news, whether it's through a phone call for a policeman arriving at the door or whatever. What do you do? Who do you go to? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do now? Like, who do, who do I have to talk to or whatever? But if somebody, if we get the phone call, if family rings us, that, that, and it's, it's just as important, you can say, right, okay, let us know where the person is, and then you don't have to tell, do any more. We'll we'll do the rest. We'll we'll get them home, you know, and and I think that's as as big a part of it as as, as paying for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the trust, you know, it very much has its 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 foundations and its roots in Uri, but I mean, it's it's clear to be seen that it's had a a global outreach and a global impact. Um, could at any point in the beginning or, or in the early, could you have foreseen the kind of outreach that, that the charity would have? No, not at all. Not at all. As I say, it, 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 it kind of took a life of its own. Uh, we didn't intend at the start to, to, to set up a charity, but it, it's, a, but it's a privilege to be able to do it, to be honest. It's, it's, uh, great to be able to help people when they're at a very very low point you know we're as i said like we're, we're like first responders mm-hmm. you know we're, we're, i mean there's grief uh, uh the grief goes on the grief goes on but uh, they don't we're able to get the person home quickly and that, that eases some of it anyway you know I mean, I, I don't want to talk specifics. You, you obviously mentioned f- fifteen thousand, but and, and I've read that the, the price can can vary to repatriate someone. But I mean, if you were talking about an average cost, just to give someone an idea of of how much it costs. Well, if you're taking somebody home from anywhere in Europe, you're talking probably five six thousand pounds. If you're talking taking somebody home from Australia. You're probably talking seven, eight thousand pounds. It's not that much dearer. Uh, from America, it could be anything from about eight thousand pounds to twelve or thirteen thousand pounds, or even up to fifteen thousand pounds. But there are some places I know. There was one case where where the person had had been in hospital for four or five weeks. You know, and we had actually to pay £16,000 to get the body, hospital fees, before we could even get the body to an undertaker mm-hmm. to, to get them home, you know. So, but what it comes, whatever it costs, it costs. And I would say the fundraisers that are going on, I mean, there's fundraisers for us all over the world every weekend, all over Ireland every weekend, you know, like where we're... Uh, as I say, and it's just <coughs> helping the next family, helping the next family, helping the next family, you know? Yeah. I mean, probably, you know, 
it's 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 never a case that you would have that kind of money available, especially when it's a tragic loss and all very sudden. Mm-hmm. But I I think like, you know having said some of the, the costs involved, it, it gives you a, a real sense of how difficult it is. You know, not only are you dealing with the immediate grief of having lost a loved one, but there's the very real and practical cost that comes with bringing them home. And I think the Kevin Bell Trust does a wonderful job in alleviating that that financial pressure and burden from people. Um, um, and, th- and thank God for it, because like you, like you said, you know, before the trust, you know, came along, there was effectively nothing available for people. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a blessing. And I'm sure that's not the first time you've been told that. Um, I wanted to understand kind of looking forward, you know, what, what's the future look like for the, the trust? I mean, is there a point where, you know, you would step away from it? Uh, and is there any of the children that would willingly take, take step into that role? I know that some of your children are involved, if not all of them to, to one degree or another. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, we're, I mean, no, we've only got one employee. Nobody else gets paid with uh, Maria in the office, and, and she's in from from 9 o'clock to half past 1 or 2 o'clock every day, Monday to Thursday. And she's there for all the, the fiddly stuff, you know, the, the computer and stuff and whatever. And she's the only one who gets paid. But uh, presumably, I mean... I I'm I've been doing it ten years and I'm over seventy now. So I mean, obviously, I will only be I'll only be at it maybe another two, three, four years, maybe. But somebody's going to have to come in, and possibly then uh, there'll have to be changes. But that'll happen when it happens. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're actually preparing for it now. But we have to have a plan of succession. So. It will at some stage change hands, all right? Yeah, that's that's exactly the word I was looking for, succession. Um, obviously, and in, in, I don't know you long enough or well enough, um, but from the, the time that I've known you, you're an incredibly humble, grounded person. Um, I, uh, I tell my wife that. <laughs> and... As nice as all the accolades and recognition is, it's not what you're looking for. But what what you have done, you and Ethna and your family, is truly remarkable. Um, we all hope to 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 have a legacy. But not only have you secured Kevin's legacy, but I think you've certainly secured your own and the impact that you've had for the people of Ireland and 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 beyond. Um, it, it is truly remarkable, um, and I just. I suppose I just wanted to let you know. Um, Thanks very much. Very good of you to say so, Damien, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So th- I guess now that's... Good place to, now is a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one last question. Um, obviously, you know, you've had um, an incredible impact in what you do and the work that you do and continue to do. But if I ask about you personally, and and is there someone in your life that's had a remarkable impact in in inspiring you or shaping you? Or very simple, yeah, yeah, Madame, Madame. If I was anything like Madame, I'd be happy. To be honest, yeah. 
He taught uh, at the Abbey as well, is that correct? He, he did, for, yeah. For us. Um, he was 43. He was 43 years in the Abbey, yeah. And what, what kind of man was he? Like, if, if you were to see any of yourself in him, what would those qualities be? Yeah. He was really, really, he just, he loved, he liked people and he was, he, he was, he was a good man, just. Yeah. You know, uh, I can say. Uh, I'll say it of my own father and I've never said it to him. And if he watches the podcast, maybe, hopefully he's a, a short attention span uh, <laughs> and only watches the start. But if, if, it, if he were to watch this the whole way through, I, I would say it's, it's him. And, it's not for what he says. He's he's a quiet man, um, but what he's demonstrated is an incredible work ethic. He's worked his whole life, sometimes two jobs, yeah, um, and does it without uh, without complaint. In fact, he's seventy two and he's still working. <laughs> I you think know. he'll find it hard to step away. Um, yeah. So, if, I mean, if I'm going to speak about myself, I would say it's him. Uh, yeah. And he's not—he's not normally he's not been that person for me, but you know that's always been my perception of looking oh, at him, yeah. And, yeah. and thank thank God for him. Um, Carly, I've probably taken enough of your time. Um, I wanted but to be honest, be honest, I'm bursting for a smoke now. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, honestly, Damien, it it flew, and really enjoyed speaking to you, and appreciate the opportunity, and. Thank you very much. No worries, Collie. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Damien. Bye, Collie.